The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. This week's episode is dedicated to the superpower of problem solving. The title of this week's episode is The Roots of Entrepreneurship, Using Problem Solving as Creativity. This is my interview with Leona Dondi. Now look, it isn't everyone, right? Not everybody can manifest an entire product line from trying to solve a personal problem. Talk about a pivot. Leona Dondi holds an MS in social psychology and was on a PhD path to becoming a professor. During this time, she was experiencing hair issues such as dry scalp and irritation and hair loss. In problem-solving mode, after she performed a Google search, she found ingredients that helped her to solve her hair issues, but she did not stop there. Her relentless pursuit of addressing the problem solidified after a trip to Korea. There, she recognized the value of integrating culture with self-care, especially the care of skin and hair. It was then that she dedicated herself to create her own hair care company and infuse her Kenyan culture into her own product line. Having been a user experience researcher at Google and a senior product researcher at Netflix, and therefore understanding what the user or consumer really wants, Leona was able to harness her work experience to jumpstart her entrepreneurial journey. Today, she is the founder of Uzima, a hair care line to address the specific needs of those with kinky and curly, and I sometimes say sassy hair. <laughs> she joins me today via StreamYard on the Forever Fab podcast to discuss the evolution of her superpower as an entrepreneurial problem solver. Welcome, Leona. Congratulations you. on your success. And thank you for becoming a member of the beautiful Forever Fab community. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. Excellent. Well, shall we get started with the Q&A? Yes, let's. Let's do it. Leona, I know I read your bio and, and just talked about how amazing your journey has been from being a professor and studying, you know, implicit bias and now a, an entrepreneur, a businesswoman, a founder. What is your story? How did it all come together? So where did you grow up and what childhood lessons informed your choices as an adult? Yes. And thank you so much. Uh, so much for the lovely, lovely intro. Uh, very, very much in depth. So my journey is, I think, not unlike many um, entrepreneurs, um, growing up, I was just very curious about everything. Um, and I, I remember my mom told me, because I don't remember these memories, but um, 
she told me that I asked a lot of why questions all the time. I always <laughs> wanted to know why, why, why. And that really has been the through thread, you know, looking back, none of the stuff that I've gone through or done in my career was ever planned. So I'm an, a Kenyan immigrant, um, so actually an immigrant, not first generation. Yeah. And I've been in the US since I was 16. And the path that I thought I would be on when I was growing up, we all have dreams of, you know, what you want to do, you want to aspire to. I had dreams of being a pediatrician, a geologist. I had so many different um, kinds of dreams and depending on what I was interested in at the time. And really looking back, the only thing that draws all of these connections together is my curiosity, um, wondering why things are this way and why they can't be a different way or wondering how to solve a particular problem. And so going into research really was kind of my calling in a way. Um, I always wanted to find out about how the world was and why it was that way and why people were that way. And so psychology really is kind of what drew me to, to, to this space of understanding humans. Um, and so that's where my journey starts is, is really trying to understand humans. So I helped um, lots of different organizations understand the humans they were serving. So in public service, in the government, um, in waste management and environmental protections, et cetera. That was my first kind of journey after graduate school into industry and helping other people understand other people, right? Yeah. Because I was curious about those other people. Um, mm -hmm. And it just fits very well with my personality and kind of where I find kind of comfort where I learn the most um, is really when I'm curious about what I'm, what I'm looking at um, and I want to know more. And when I started suffering with skincare issues, which is where my formulation journey started, I was curious about why none of the products I was buying in the stores were working for me, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, I don't look at, I look at back at it and say it's curiosity. At the time, it was frustration, right? Yeah. Why are these things not working? They're being marketed to work and they're not working. Um, and I tried so many of them to solve this issue. And so I thought, okay, what is in these things? What is the anatomy of this product that I bought? And how do I recreate it? How do I make it so that it works? And what are the ingredients that work? Um, right. And so that was basically the start of my formulation journey, figuring out how to help my own skin so that I stop being frustrated and itchy and, you know, bleeding and scarring all over the place. Right. Um, and even looking through my career after I started formulating, going into user experience research, I had already been an early tech adopter. I had a yes. Palm Pilot in college. Yes. Had, uh, right. I was like, I was already in the tech space, but I never really consciously thought that there were people who made these products. I know it's yes. just kind of weird. I just never consciously thought about it. One, because it wasn't something I was exposed to in Kenya growing up. I yes. didn't know of the term software engineer. I knew civil engineer because that's 
who I, I saw around, but I didn't know, and I, and I knew electrical engineer, a mechanical engineer, but I didn't know that there was someone who was a software engineer who was building these tech products that we were using. Um, right. I didn't know that there were designers. I didn't know that there were researchers who were coming up with um, concepts and talking to people about concepts and helping teams understand how to build these technologies. And so once I found that out, I was in graduate school and it was so interesting to me. And I thought, okay, I've done some work in market research. I've done some work helping government organizations. What more can I do? What other things can I learn? How can I expand my skills? And that started me on the journey into tech, um, which took a while to pivot from academia uh, and, and market research to tech. But in the end, once I landed there, it just felt like home because it was kind of the mix of both things. Um, in tech organizations, curiosity is rewarded, right? We are trying to understand, we're trying to innovate, we're trying to think outside the box. And so that became kind of my superpower in, in helping teams kind of realize what are the new things we can bring to market? What are the new experiences? But more importantly, what are the problems that we can solve in kind of new and unique ways that help people enjoy the products they use, right? And that to me is, is kind of one of the places where you learn the most because you're trying lots of things. I learned so much about product development, a world that I had never been part of or never thought I would be part of. Um, and then I get to do that every day. Um, with lots of different teams and kind of impact trajectories of businesses. So it ended up being really the perfect fit for me in retrospect. And it's not something that I really, you know, planned for, but it's something that worked out just because of my openness to finding what I was interested in. There are so many jewels and gems in your story. There are so many things that you said that I, I can just go off on different you know, tan tangents and just talk to you about those things. I really appreciate that you stated proudly, I'm an immigrant and not first generation, like I am an immigrant from Kenya. That's beautiful. I love that you said you're so, you're so open and that you never really planned anything, but you were curious. And there was a part of your story that really uh, underlies your passion for helping people and bringing out your superpower to help others solve problems. Now, you mentioned tech also. Now, how were you able to marry the desire or passion to help people, your superpower of problem solving, uh, creating a product line, and yet also using tech? How did you marry all of those together to create Uzima? Yeah, so the, the main way I did it is just kind of thinking about how cosmetic products are made today. And when we look at the market, we see that lots of people are feeling left out, right? Mm. Um, it's not just Black women, it's Black men, it's people of color. Lots of people who are not what is considered mainstream are being left behind. And in my, in my view, the, the, the group that meant the most to me was the one that I was experiencing, right? The Black woman, right? Yes. Where yes. are products for the kind of hair that I have? Yes. Where is the marketing that shows me that these are the kinds of products that I should use because they were made for me, right? Yes. Um, and the way we get here is 
because we are developing products with one particular group in mind. Um, and when we do that, we obviously, we leave everyone else who is not that particular group behind. And in technology, when we're developing products, um, especially when we're thinking about the design um, of new products, we use, um, and just bringing new products to market, we use this methodology called design thinking. And what design thinking does is it takes um, a problem and breaks it down to its very basic parts. Mm-hmm. If you're going to create a hairline and you want to solve a problem for someone, how do you go and find that problem? Lucky for me, I was experiencing that problem. Right, and yes. the problem I was experiencing was also widely experienced by many other women and not just black women. It was experienced by Hispanic women, by um, Asian women, by white yeah. women. All, all of the people were experiencing this problem. And yes. the key thing for me was that it was more ex- exacerbated in the black community. Got it. And and so when I think of developing a product that's going to solve the problem, I look to that community that's being left behind, the community that ex- is experiencing the most pain, right? Yes. Because if all the pain was equally distributed, we could make a product um, that references one group and it would work for everyone. But if one group is being um, disproportionately affected, we really need to understand those effects more deeply. We need to understand the emotions behind those problems, the characteristics of those problems, how people have tried to solve them with with, uh, the products that already exist today to understand where the gaps are, what the complaints are. And in doing that, in just really focusing on not a specific group of people because they look like me, but really the most extreme problem experiencers, right? When we solve that problem for the people who are experiencing the most pain, we end up solving the problem for everyone because we've effectively solved it for the people who have the most, the biggest issue. And, And that's, kind of what I brought into to my company in thinking about we're not creating just another hair care brand to create another hair care brand because we need representation but thinking about the hair care as a tool to solve issues that have been prevalent in the community in 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 terms of beauty and so that's that's how I kind of married my my expertise in really trying to find the exact white space that I want to, to build in. And it's, it's really just identifying what, how are other people doing this thing that's leading to this gap, right? And of course, there are many reasons why this gap exists, why people are being left behind. It goes down to inclusivity and um, diversity along the, the whole product pipeline all the way from concept to market and into marketing, right? And if we don't have people who look like us, who care about the specific issues that we experience along this whole journey, it's not surprising that the products that end up, most the most of the products that end up on the market don't address our issues, right? And so for me, what I can affect, because I can't immediately diversify the whole cosmetic industry, but what I can affect 
is really trying to show people that, yes, I'm a Black woman. Yes, my cultural competency is the problem I'm trying to solve for my community. Um, but in doing so and really focusing on, on these problems, we end up, and not just the community, but the actual problems that people are going through, we end up solving this problem across hair types, across skin types, um, and really across cultures because yes. you're focusing on the biology and the physiology of the problem itself rather than um, creating just a hair care line. And so for me, when we're talking about scalp issues, that's skin issues to me, right? Because the scalp is the skin. So right. how do we borrow um, from skincare? Because there's lots of things in skincare that help our skin decrease right. inflammation, decrease oiliness, decrease all of the things that we actually do need on our scalp, but our hair care products generally don't provide for us. And so that's then what bored the idea of Uzima, basically weaving in scalp care throughout the whole entire routine so that we're not just masking the issue when it arises, but we're actually solving it by making the scalp more calm over time, right? Using science um, and botanicals. So that that's, that's, um, that's how I blended kind of my knowledge and my um, my expertise on the tech side to bring kind of a, a new take on product development in in cosmetics that I didn't see happening because the products weren't coming out as representative as they could have been if we were focusing on the main issues for That's particular groups of people. Now, would you say from ideation or from idea to shelf, you encountered obstacles along the way? And it's a very long journey from ideation to shelf. There's so many different departments and areas of expertise and, and levels of finance and e effort that are required to actually bring a product to market. So along all those steps, did you find obstacles and how did you manage those? I mean, anything from finding the manufacturer to finding a distributor to finding, hello, capital. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah <straight up. laughs> that could be a whole episode, as you know, if you, yeah. you know, you've talked to other, other founders, um, it's extremely challenging. Yeah. Anyone who starts a business, um, should be praised, right? Because it is extremely challenging to even get to launch. Um, and for me, one of the things that was much easier uh, was because I was already passionate about formulation and I knew a lot about ingredients um, and the science behind cosmetic formulation, um, that part was easier for me. Right. Um, I was able very early on in my journey, I was able to make really great connections with suppliers. And I've had these long relationships with various suppliers where I've been um, sampling their products as I was thinking of concepts for uh, for um, my brand. Um, and I was leaning on their expertise in their labs and just really kind of they helped in part my kind of self-learning along the way. So that part was really 
really easy and also really enjoyable. I read a lot of um, cosmetic science for fun. Like people read novels. I read um, cosmetic science. (laughs) And um, so for me, that's just kind of my my default. I love it. I, I love learning about new ingredients, new ways ingredients are working, etc. No, me what too. Was, delicious, isn't it? Yeah. I just I love it. I I I spend an inordinate amount of time on these on these websites. Um every day <laughs> I'm on them. Um, it's it's a little bit like my social media in a way. Yeah. Um and and so that part was was easy. I think what was challenging was that a lot of these ingredients, so if I'm trying to build an innovative product, um and I, I, I want to understand how this ingredient might perform on, on my hair. There's not really, or on my scalp, there's not really a lot of data that would tell me that because um, our ingredient manufacturers tend not to test on uh, right. broadly on, on the population. So the data gaps um, were, were quite huge. And it took a, kind of a lot of trial and error to figure out kind of what are the effects of certain ingredients, um, especially on the aesthetics of the hair? So when you're thinking about a conditioner um, and trying to make one that it has enough slip for for Afro kinky hair, for example, um, yes. understanding how to do that. Um, and so data was was a little bit lacking there. Um, but I think a lot of manufacturers are really trying and starting to to kind of include a lot of these testing to prove out their their, their marketing, then that makes it easier for us. The second challenge um, was really finding um, a manufacturer who could bring my products um, to market. Yes. Um, it is, there are, are a lot of manufacturers out there. Um, many of them uh, do not kind of work with smaller brands Correct. in any kind of meaningful way in terms of financial ease. Um, I totally understand because I've worked, I've worked in business strategy. I, I know revenue. I know, you know, what, what it takes to be able to be profitable. I understand those terms. So I totally get it. I get that they may not see that full return in investing. I get it. Right. Um, but it's really hard to find the folks who will take that chance on you. Um, and so in the early, in the early days, I, I ended up deciding to manufacture my own products, which is what I do right now. Um, the down, the downside of that, which, you know, I, I love formulating. I love creating samples right now. My capacity, I can manufacture at 10 kilos, which is very small, right? Very small. But it is still so large. Yeah. <laughs> and so I that makes it very unique and special and artisanal and exclusive, girl. Those are the words you have to use. <laughs> exclusive. Okay. You know Let me reframe, right? <laughs> it is exclusive and it takes a long time. Um, <laughs> and the challenge there for me, because I work full time, is finding the time to create these products. So that's yes. that's kind of been the the kind of um, jigsaw puzzle I've been I've been I've been working with lately, and then funding funding okay. I think is um, it's something that we always talk about. It's extremely competitive. 
Um, the good news is that many, many, many people are starting businesses that are helping our communities. Many people. Um, we have so many innovative founders who are bringing new products to market and competition is fierce for funding. And that yes, is, is a good thing, right? It's a good yes. thing because more of us need to succeed. But it is also very challenging because it's very competitive. And we know yes. that even, and I'm not in the, in the um, space to look at VC funding because I just launched, but in just thinking about the future and what, where I want Uzima to be, I know that is part of my path. And so really understanding how do I get in front of the right people um, early on and start building these relationships that end up becoming fruitful in, you know, in, the, in the short to medium term. Um, and then also in the long term, of course. And so the, for me, the three main challenges were really kind of how do I make this an effective product? So yes, that when most of that woman opens up this box and, and, and pumps the leave-in conditioner into her hand and applies it, she immediately feels that this product will work for her, right? Yes. Um, and how do I then create the solution? Um, so a, a lot of my, so all of our products are multifunctional. They are multi-benefit. Mm -hmm. Um, and what we are trying to do in, in, in many ways is to reduce the amount of products that we're using. Um, we don't need 20 different products um, and we don't, we don't need all of those things. So how do we achieve our styles in, with less product? So we're using yes. less, we're being more conscious of what we're using, but then also when we're using a lot of products on our hair, we get a lot of buildup. And we are also, you know, uh, textured hair, women with textured hair have always shied away from washing their hair too frequently. And so when you have the ritual of not washing your hair frequently and also using a lot of products mm -hmm. on your hair, this buildup is affecting the, the, the health of our scalp, right? Um, and so yes. how do we kind of change the way people are uh, thinking about hair care in a different way? How do we make products that are more friendly also for the scalp? Because we know that um, women with our type of hair don't only put hair products from the half of their hair, right? And that's usually right. a lot of the instruction is only put things on your ends. And that doesn't quite work for our hair type. So how do we create right. a product that if it gets in your scalp, it's not further irritating your scalp. It's not going to clog your pores. And it's not going to cause inflammation, right? And so it's it's thinking about what is the mix of our routine? Because we're not, like, changing behavior is really hard, right? Because I, I understand that. Yes. I come from understanding yes. human behavior. People really don't tend to change very easily. That has to be a really big, a big shock to the system for people to change their habits. And so right. how do you meet people where they are and create a product that doesn't do damage in the way that it's when, when it's used in the way that it would normally be used? And so we 
kind of take out a lot of those irritating ingredients and put in ingredients that are more protective so that those things don't happen, right? And so again, it's really understanding, you know, a person who doesn't have this routine, who doesn't understand how women with textured hair use hair products and how they're using them to solve whatever problems they're experiencing, really can't design the product that will help in that situation, right? Because it really takes that internal knowledge. This is how we use a leave-in conditioner, or this is how we usually wash our hair and trying to kind of move people into more healthier habits, right? Washing your hair more frequently, create a gentle product so that people can wash their hair more frequently, create styling products that actually help us maintain our style longer, things like that, that will actually solve all of the, not just like my scalp issues, but I don't have time to wash my hair today, but I need to wash my hair, right? Or I don't want to work out today because I don't want to wash my hair. Things like that, that are, that really are part of our community that we, people really are not talking about um, in the product development world as impacting the way we experience and benefit from products. Um, And so really understanding these rituals, these routines and marrying them with the science that creates better for us products then really helps solve the problem no matter which way you're using the product, whether you're washing your hair every day or every week or every two weeks. Hopefully everyone stays with every two weeks, but <laughs> but at you least know, like, like making it kind of more like an easier way to take care of your hair. And I think for, for a lot of us, especially folks with tighter, uh, coily hair, yeah. the thought of doing your hair is really usually a day, a day long thing. And it shouldn't be that way. We should be able to just have a normal routine, unless of course you want to treat yourself and have a spa day. But sometimes sure. you don't have time for that. So what do you yeah. do, right? You have to figure out a way to solve that problem. There, I mean, there's so much to think about as you beautifully elucidated and and also there's just so much rooted in hair culturally socially psychologically physically um emotionally there's so much you know we <laughs> what is what is the term uh heavy is the head who wears the crown but it, it means so much and it means a lot yeah. you know for women with textured hair i understand that completely and i appreciate also that you know, creating this product to a certain extent requires a re-education. So you, your being the founder of this line is so intentional and your, your passion for it is so intentional that I appreciate that and just wanted to let you know, I ordered my products already. So looking forward to trying those. (laughs) Thank you for that. I'm looking forward to hearing your feedback. Absolutely. You'll get it. And in part two, we're going to talk about your product line specifically and how you named it and all the beautiful ingredients. So you've been listening to part one of the Forever Fab podcast with my guest, Leona Dandi, founder of Uzima. Stay tuned for part two. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living and all things beauty, curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD. Live beautifully and help make the world a more beautiful place.